0: Welcome to the House Church Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message by guest speaker, Kevin Inman. If you would like to know more about the House Church, please visit our website at welcometothehouse.com or download the House app. Man, we came in this morning it as the worship team was practicing, and, and it's just an honor to be able to be here today and to really think about this reset series And today, Pastor Stephen asked me to to speak on the topic of setback. And what a setback means. What what are you facing as a setback? Have you faced a setback? If you haven't faced a setback, then you're not really trying to get anywhere. I want to challenge you with that. If you're not facing any opposition or nothing's really kind of... You're just kind of... Everything's just kind of maintaining, okay? You need to really find out what your purpose is and where you're going. Because when you head somewhere you're going to find some opposition. Um, my story, personally, is uh, maybe a little bit uh, different in the setback. is uh, Mine were kind of all self-induced. I was kind of a self-induced setbacker, you could say. Um, I, I, uh, my parents were divorced uh, whenever I was young, very young. I don't remember my dad being around. My mom uh, raised me and my older sister, and she did a phenomenal job of that. Uh, we, we didn't go to church. We didn't really attend church. We just kind of went through life and, and that's just kind of what we did. We, she, you work hard and you treat people fair and you do the right things and, and that's how you live. And they really didn't have any idea about what what God could do or even who he was. And so my mom raised me with the sense of you've got you to be tough. And so with my dad not being around, she was always afraid that I was going to be uh, you know not tough and I would be um, uh, you know, kind of wimpy or whatever. So, so her idea of, of raising me in that was that, that, that men just don't cry. Men don't, you don't cry. You don't, you don't do that. You don't show that emotion. And whenever you're hurt, you just get up and you go on. And I grabbed a hold of that uh, concept really, really early. Um, when, I was five, when I was four, I had my sister's bicycle, not, not mine. So I was, riding, I was riding a girl's bike, which may have been very disappointing to her at the time. <laughs> But it was a little bit too big. I shouldn't have been on it. And, and I'm riding around a parking lot and I hit a, a parked car. <laughs> so obviously, I wasn't very good at this bicycling thing. But I hit a parked car and, and my teeth hit the handlebar. And so it didn't knock the teeth out, it just kind of folded them back up against my gums. You're welcome for that. We're going to have <laughs> breakfast later. But the whole, the whole key to that story was as I went through that process and it was swelling and everything I had went through a blender. Was that man, this kid is tough because he never cried through the whole thing. He never did cry. And and, and we told that as a as a story of being proud, and I I stood on that and I said, That's it, you know, I'm just that I'm that tough. But the truth is behind the scenes I was with my grandmother and we had gone to one of the many dentist appointments, and I can remember coming out of the dentist appointment and walking outside, my grandmother was Taking care of the bill or whatever at the desk. And I walked past her and I walked outside. And I can remember to this very to this very day, I leaned back against the brick wall. And it was those really rough, old, rough bricks. And I can remember sitting there, and I was four years old, and I remember thinking, I looked horrible. I felt terrible. It hurt. And all I wanted to do was cry. And I remember my grandma came out and she looks at me and she said, Are you all right? And I looked up, and I just, just couldn't hold it back anymore. And I began to kind of cry. And she grabs me, and we go to the car, and we drive down the road a little ways, and we pull over on this side road, and we just, we just had a cry. And she said something to me in that moment, and I'll never forget it. She said, listen, we don't have to tell anybody about this. I said, okay. With all of the greatest intention in the world, it began something in me that said, you don't have to tell anybody whenever you're hurting. You don't have to tell people when you're broken. You don't have to let all of that out because you're a man and you don't show that emotion. You don't let people know that's a, that's a weakness. And so I began living my life in that way all the way through. I didn't realize that I missed my dad because I never would address it. I didn't realize that there were things missing in my life because I never would address those issues. Why would I address them? Because that would make me weak. We should push forward. We should just go on. You're okay. It's all right. Just just pick yourself up and let's go. Now, without that training in my life, I wouldn't have made it through a lot of things that I put myself through. At 13, I took my first drink of alcohol. And my mom was a school teacher. She taught school all day, she worked all night, she was in the home, she was very good at discipline. In a, in, a, in a great way, I mean, she just, you, 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 here's your consequence. You know, you're grounded, go get the belt. Yes, ma'am. You know, she wasn't somebody who just didn't care. And I took advantage of my mom being gone. I took advantage of her not being there because she had to work. And the first drink of alcohol that I took, I was addicted, and I knew that I was addicted. It was an, it was... I didn't know the terminology. I didn't know exactly what all that was going to entail. But I knew that the first time that I drank alcohol, I was absolutely in love with it. I was in love with the feeling that it gave me. And I was in love with who I became when I drank. I was a different person. The first time that I drank, I drank into a blackout. I could not remember what happened that night at 13 years old. The next day, we began to talk about what had happened with some of my friends. It turned out I was a pretty funny guy, and uh, I was able to just be me and not have a worry or care in the world, and and that set a pace for me. That same year, my uncle, who was the the man in my life, who was somebody that I absolutely admired and adored, Um, he was a great family man and a hard worker, just the guy that I wanted to be. He passed away from cancer that same year. And it was like somebody else was pulled out of my life. Um, we moved. I was actually at that time living in Green Forest, Arkansas. And we moved up to, uh, to Marionville where the rest of my family was at uh, with me and my mom and my sister. And it just became a horrible downward spiral from there. I was very good at lying. I was very good at covering things up. Um, I had a way of making you feel sorry for me to be able to get what I wanted. And when we talk about a setback, I look at that and I think there's a 13-year-old kid that has a whole world in front of him and he's destroying it. And when you look at that situation, as I explain it to you, you think, man, that's probably not going to turn out so well. But you see, there's, there's life that we go through, and we have choices to make all the way through it. And I have choices to make from 13 to 44 today, choices to make that are going to help determine where I go in my future. So I followed that path for a long, long, long time. Lots of trouble in school, lots of things. I, uh, at 17, I graduated. I was really young for my class. graduated at 17, moved to Aspen, Colorado, and I said, this is going to change my life. All the trouble that I've caused back there is going to be gone. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be a millionaire. Probably. I'll probably be a movie star. I don't know what's going to happen. It's just going to be awesome. And so when I got out there and I figured out after about two months that, that I was there, all of those problems came with me. No matter where you go, there you are. I found out that everything that I was doing back in Missouri, it followed me all the way out to Colorado. I had the same problems. I thought, man, this place really stinks. They don't like me because I'm from Missouri. I've been in all of this trouble. I'm going to go back home where I don't have all of these problems, and everything's going to be better. Does anybody have any idea what happened when I got home? <laughs> You'll take a wild guess at what happened when I got home. It was the exact same thing. I spent a couple of years in the army. Uh, it was extremely good for me. Uh, I don't know that I was very good for the army. <laughs> they, uh, when my time was up, they said, "Well, we've enjoyed having you, Kevin." <laughs> We don't think we want you to come back. And, okay, that's good. I didn't really like you anyway. I like your clothes. We parted ways. It was a, it was a, it was a mutual agreement that we just decided we would go our separate ways. I got out of the army, and um, I knew what I needed. Whenever I got out, was to be married because that would change everything. So um, I asked this young lady that I'd been dating to marry me, and. Uh, That was probably the largest mistake she had ever made in her life. It lasted about three years. I was a horrible husband. I lied. I cheated. I stole. I was an alcoholic. And it was miserable. For some reason, she stayed for three years. We divorced. And, of course, it was her fault. And I couldn't believe that she would treat me in such a manner. And so I knew that at that point in my life, I really needed to be single. And if I was single, then I would have everything that I wanted and everything that was in my heart. And you can imagine what happened in that. A few months later, I met another girl. And I said, she's the one. And I figured out exactly how to lie to her enough to make her believe that I was somebody that I really wasn't. And that she ended up marrying me. You know, I tell this story a lot. It never fails. It's very emotional for me because it's my life. And God has opened up my heart in a way today to see who I was then. It's not a setback to keep me in that place. He brought me out of it. But it's a time that I can go back and I can look back and I can see how great that He is and how, how sovereign that He is and how merciful that He is, how forgiving that He is and how loving that He is and how that He can take what I had become on my own choices. Nobody forced me into this. I didn't have a horrible life at home. My, my mother loved me. My sister loved me. My family loved me. They were good to me. But I had made these choices on my own and the person that I had become was nothing like the person I wanted to be. And I knew as we were going through this process that I was not going to be able to change. But I thought if I had her with me that I could be better than what I was. She could help me. She's got things pretty squared away. She had a a past, and and she had been married before, and she had three kids, and, and I was good with that, and everything was fine. And I asked her to marry me, and I just became worse. I was deeply in love with her and our family, but no way to express that, because men don't show those kind of feelings. Men are just tough, and we go to work and we do what we're supposed to do. And if somebody disagrees with us, we slap them in the face and, and we think that's what we do. And the whole time there's a God above looking at me saying, That's not what I've asked you to do. And there's this pressure that I don't even know that there's pressure, why there's pressure. There's there's this want to be this better person and to be a loving person. I knew in my heart when somebody said something to me that touched my heart, I wanted to cry. I know that the person that God created me to be was in there. I didn't know how to get it out. I didn't know how to express it. I walked in this door this morning. The worship team's practicing. I want to cry. Why? Because there's all of these beautiful young people up here early on a Sunday morning worshiping the Lord. And that's what this thing is all about. And we went through our marriage and I lied and I cheated and I stole. And I became aggressive. I went to jail. And I got out of jail. And I went to jail. And I got out of jail. And I went to work and I wouldn't come home. And I'd spend money we didn't have. And I would come home and I would blame her. I would blame everybody but me. A year after we got married, we found out we were pregnant. So eight months after that, I hadn't been home in two weeks. Shannon's eight months pregnant. I'd go to work. I'd go out and get drunk, and I'd go back to work. And she's at home, eight months pregnant. One morning, I get up, and I, I uh, made my way to the job site. I laid asphalt for a living, so I was working out on the interstate. We were laying asphalt. We were out there getting everything ready for the day. And I uh, set up a few cones and I turned around to look to make sure everything was okay. And a car came through trying to pass in that no work zone and hit three cones and a Kevin. I thought I was redhead enough to look like a cone, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but he hit me and it knocked me about 40 feet, broke both my legs. Um, wasn't such a good sight. I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know what was going on. The only thing I knew was that whenever I came to was that uh, all the people that I worked with were standing around me telling, you, telling me to stay on the ground because I kept trying to get up because you don't say you're hurt. You don't show that kind of emotion. You don't, you don't let it stop you. You get up and you go do what you're supposed to be doing that day. They landed the helicopter and flew me to the hospital. When they got me to the hospital, they began to do tests and stuff on me and they found out that I had a .08 blood alcohol content. At 7 o'clock in the morning. At that moment, the company that I worked for really had no more liability. You know, you sign a piece of paper that says, if I'm drunk at work, I'm really not your responsibility. And the president, the vice president, and the safety director of the company, as they stood and looked at me on the table in the emergency room, they also looked over to the right I saw a young lady that's eight months pregnant crying want to know if her husband's going to live or die. And they look at her and they said, you take care of him, whatever he needs. Let's try and get him well because she needs a husband. And she can't go on without this income. Everybody thought that would be it. That would really change me. My life would be different. You know, you get hit by a car and you survive it and you have a couple of surgeries Still got your job, still got your family, still have your life. He's definitely going to see it now, and he's going to be changed and different. Wow, what an exciting time for Kevin. I got out of the hospital in five days. I was in a wheelchair. Uh, All the people from work decided to come down and um, have a barbecue to celebrate and see how we were doing and check on us. My wife sat inside and talked to the safety director, who was a Christian, who wanted to speak life into our relationship. I set out back with my friends and got drunk in a wheelchair. Midnight that night I'm in the front yard in my lawn chair or in my wheelchair watching my wife and the kids leave, and she says, You're never gonna get it. That cycle continued. And continued and continued. And it never did do anything but get worse. I could hold off for a little while, but it would just continue to get worse. By October of 2006, I was doing concrete construction during the day and I was a bouncer at a bar at night. And I had my wife convinced that if she was there and we were doing this thing at the bar together that it would help our relationship. The guy that owned the place, I thanked him I don't know how many times for saving my marriage because we could finally do something together. I enjoyed being... A bouncer because I thought I was somebody. In October, my wife comes to me and she says, I'm done with this. This is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. This is stupid. This is not how I'm supposed to live. My friend Michelle has invited me to church and I'm going to go to church Sunday. And I'd like for you to go. And I'm like, you are crazy. I'm not going to church. I know what church is. I know church people and I don't like them. I'm not going to go to church. She said, well, we're going to church and I'm done with this place. I stayed on doing it for just a little while longer and uh, finally decided that I would probably better quit being the bouncer, quit going to the bar every night. Um, I said, okay, I'll go to church with you, but I'll be whatever. I'll go in and I'll walk out and I'll show up and then I'll be that guy to do whatever I want to do, but I'll be there on Sunday because that's what you do. And we started going to this church and something started happening in me. I said, I'm tired of doing what I'm doing. I want to not drink anymore. And I hadn't drank for a while, and I was going to work. And it came up on Christmas time, 2006. of my friends called and said, hey, we're going to go uh, buy some Christmas cards. We're going to go get Christmas presents for our wives. Do you want to go with us? And, and what that meant was we were going to go buy a card and get drunk. I said, no, guys, I'm not going to go this time. I'm going to church. I'm kind of doing some things differently. About three hours later, I decided, well, I haven't done anything in a while. I won't get Too bad. So I called him and said, I'm in. Didn't call my wife to let her know. By the end of the night, I'd gotten in in a couple of fights and acted just like a total fool. Showed up at home about midnight. And as I walk in the door, I remember I looked over on the couch and there's my wife crying. She says, what happened? What happened? in that moment, all the things that I always did, I could feel that anger coming up in me. And I said, you don't tell me what to do. I'm a man and I'll do what I want. And I took that step to go over there where she was at at the couch. And she looks at me and she says, you stay away from me. You're never going to touch me again. You go get in that bed and you lay down and you shut your mouth. Next thing I know, I'm in bed and I got my mouth shut and I'm going, she can't tell me what to do. (laughs) You See, there were some differences here. I was going to church and she found a relationship. So the moment that I walked into the door and the things that came up inside of me are not from God, and what was in me was not anywhere near as strong as what was in her. So when she says, you shut your mouth, you go lay down in that bed. I had no choice but to do what the Spirit of the Lord inside of her had commanded me to do because I was not of God. She was of the Lord. She's the one I'll be preaching up here. Come on. I woke up the next morning, I have a clue. Anything about this spiritual activity that had just occurred in my life, I just thought, well, I had a weak moment. I go to work and I call all the people that I got into the arguments with and I call them and apologize. Last person I call was my wife. Hey, sorry about that. Won't happen again. She said, look, here's the deal, man. I love you. I want you to be my husband. I want you to be the father of these kids. But if you have one drink, don't come home. Okay. I'll be there. A couple hours later, I get another phone call. Hey man, we're going to pour some concrete tonight. Could you come help us out? I knew what that meant too. I said, heck yeah. My wife said if I have one, I've got a free night out. The brain's not thinking quite right. And that's what I did. I called her and said, hey, I'm going to go help these guys do some concrete. I'll, I'll be home later. She said, "I do whatever you need to do. If you have one drink, don't show up here. So I went and immediately began to drink. Went home, went, went somewhere else, passed out that night, woke up the next morning and began to drink again. Passed out that night, woke up the next morning, it's Christmas Eve. I called my wife. I said, Hey, sorry about that. It was kind of a bad deal. You know, it ain't going to happen again. I'd bought the kids a four-wheeler and it was over at a friend's house getting kind of tuned up. I said, I'll go get that four-wheeler and I'll come home. And we'll do Christmas. She said, It's too late. We've already done Christmas. We don't need a four-wheeler and we don't need you. We don't know if you're alive or if you're dead. You think you can just come home. It ain't happening. But she said, I'm going to tell you one thing right now. I love you. And I want you to be my husband. And I want you to be a father to these kids. But if you have one drink, don't come home. I cussed her out. Told her how horrible she was. Couldn't believe she would do something like that to me. I started drinking again. Woke up the next morning, Christmas morning. And I was a mess. There was a war going on inside of me that I had no idea that I could, what was happening. I knew Christmas morning, 2006, I wanted to kill myself. I wasn't going to make it through another day. I've been drinking for 30 years. I know how to get drunk. For 20 years, I know how to get drunk. And I know how to do something really stupid. And that's what I'm going to do today. I'm into my life because I'm not putting my kids through this. I'm not putting my wife through this. I'm not putting myself through this. I'm done. I began to drink. Eight o'clock in the morning, I began to drink as hard and as fast as I could. And something in that day was different because I couldn't get to the place. And I was on purpose. I drank more alcohol than I'd ever drink in my life in one day. Doing everything I could to get to the place to be able to end my life, and I couldn't do it. See, what I didn't know was there was a spiritual war that was being won on my behalf. There was prayer that was going out from my wife and from the pastor at our church that was saying, He is not going to fall to the enemy. He is going to live and He shall not die. They were proclaiming life into me and I had no control over it. You see, there was a war in the spirit realm that was happening that I had no idea about. All I knew is I was an absolute miserable wreck of a human being. And about 2 o'clock that morning, I finally just hit the floor face down. That was it. And I woke up the next morning and there was something in me that said, you can't do it alone. You can't quit. And I had some kind of hope in me that something could help me. I didn't know what it was. And I called my wife. The day after Christmas, after all of this, all of this, I said, something's got to change. She's like, well, duh. <laughs> I said, I don't know what it is. I said, I said, but I believe something can help me. I don't know what it is. Something out here can help me, and, and, and i got to go for it. And she said, listen to me. I love you. I want you to be my husband. I want you to be a father to these kids. But if you're drinking, don't come here but if you're not drinking, come home. And that drive home, I have no idea how another person could love me after everything that I had done to her, everything I had done to our family, everything that I would put them through, yet she has the ability to say, I love you, come home. I want some of that. I don't have a clue how to forgive myself or anybody else. I went home, I said, i got to Find somebody to talk to, and she said, "Maybe you should talk to the pastor." I'm like, "That's be great with me. I'll talk to anybody I can." I called him and I said, "Hey, can we meet?" And he said, "Would Saturday morning ten o'clock work for you?" So that'd be great. Saturday morning, December thirtieth, ten o'clock in the morning, I met with a pastor at a church. And on my way over there, my wife had bought me a Bible. I opened up my Bible, and there's this little note in there that says, God bless you. I love you. I have no idea how she could ever love me. Went in and sat down, and I talked to the pastor, and I said, I'm not trying to freak you out or anything, but I hear you talk about God, and I hear you talk about this Jesus, and I hear you talk about these things. And I don't know if it's real. I don't know what all this stuff in this book is. But I'll say this. If he's real, I want everything that he's got. And I'm telling you, I said, Pastor, I will give him my entire life. If he's the one that can help me, then I'll give him my life. I said, but if this is some kind of a fake thing, if it's just TV or if it's just show or if you're just here to get somebody's money, And this doesn't work. I'm walking out that door and I'm going to blow my head off. And you, sir, are responsible for my family. Strangest reaction I've ever got in my life. He went, okay. (laughs) I was like, they're good people. (laughs) He said, that doesn't bother me at all. He said, that's up to you, Kevin. Because I know who God is and I know what he can do. And if you think that I have to carry his pressure, then you're wrong. But Kevin, if you'll give your life to him, he can restore you, make you whole, make you complete, give you a happy family. He can do everything that he's placed in your heart. He can do it. But it's your choice to follow him or to not follow him. I said, I'm in. And so we said a prayer. And I understood for the first time, the first time what love was. I said, Father, forgive me of my sin. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. And at that very moment, he took the desire to drink away from me. He set me free that day. I walked out of that church that morning, a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. And I had no idea that 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 was in the scripture. When I went to church and they began saying things like Obadiah, I thought they were making up names. I said, I don't know what you're doing. That's really neat, but that's a weird name. (laughs) Spiritual warfare. All of these things that they would say, I I have no idea. This is so cool. Like, this is awesome. Only thing I knew, I was free. I knew on the inside of me something was brand new that I had never known before. And every time somebody said something to me, I cried. They would say, hello. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. I had 34 years of crying to get out of me. At 34 years old, I walked into a church on a Saturday morning and I found Jesus. And today, 10 years later, I get to stand at the house and tell you how good God is. And talk about being reset in your life. There's nothing... That you're going through. It doesn't matter. Since I've been saved in 10 years, I've been, had seen setback and setback and setback. And I said, God, every setback that I see, it's a setup. Are you with me? Yes. You took my mess and you made a message. You got the test, made a testimony. God, I believe you. You I am not set back for no reason. I didn't go through all that for nothing. I went through it to proclaim your goodness. I went through it so I could stand wherever you would call me to go and proclaim your goodness of love and mercy and power and authority that overcomes everything. With God, nothing is impossible. I don't know what your setback is. I hope you listen to that and say, man, I've never been that jacked up. But you may listen to my story and say, man, that's nothing. I've had people walk up to me and say, that's a really cool story, bro, but that's nothing compared to what I faced. Listen, It doesn't matter the size of it. What matters is in your heart. Kevin, it's up to you what you allow God to do in your life. It's up to you what you allow God to do in your life. The setback is the setup for what He wants to take you to. Where you're going is in Him and it's not got anything to do with you. You don't have the ability to go where God takes you to, but He does. He puts things in you that you never dreamed possible. I can promise you the day I walked out of there, I never dreamed I would be standing here today. Did I ever think that I would be able to have my family sitting on the front row of a church together, happy? Normal arguments. (laughs) Are you with me? Normal irritation. You see, because normal things, like you didn't take the trash out again, I would leave for three days. I'd walk out the door and not come back. Today I can just say something real smart aleck back. Because I didn't want to. (laughs) and That won't get you very far in life, saved or not. He didn't tell me, God didn't tell me, Kevin, everything is perfect from here on out. What He said is, Kevin, I'm perfect in you from here on out. I have the ability to take you where you've never been. You could be in here today. Looking at your setback, thinking you get, can't get past it. But you can. Nothing in here, nothing in you, in this room today, can keep you from God's love. No matter where you're at or what you've done, He loves you. I thought it was impossible until I encountered Him. I didn't have an emotional moment. I had an encounter with Jesus, and my heart was changed, my life was saved. My soul and my spirit were set in heaven, written in the Lamb's book of life. And I've done a lot of learning since that point, And a lot of failing and, and a lot of praying and a lot of, oh my God, I am so sorry I said that. I shouldn't have done that. And ten years of being saved. Five years of pastoring a church. And we're going through some stuff in this season. Our life is going through some things in this this season. Some friendships and relationships are tough. And we've been praying and saying, God, we're following you. Our hearts are yours. Our lives are yours. And we know that the scripture says, Father, that you work out all things for the good of those who love you. And I get a message this morning about a restored relationship and friendship that I didn't know if it was possible. I'm doubting. I'm saying, God, I don't know if you, how you're going to work this out. I don't know if you can work this out. And he worked it out. And the key is your relationship with him has to be strong. and has to be secure. And I just want to ask you this morning, is that secure with you? Do you have that presence in your heart and in your life? Are you saved? They used to ask that when I would go to church, say, are you saved? I was like, I don't know. Am I dying? I didn't even know. Yeah, I was dying. I was going through life on my own and my eternity was going to be without Christ and that presence. I knew I liked church and it felt good whenever I was there. I just didn't understand that was because the Spirit of the Lord was there. You know, Saul had so much trouble he couldn't sleep and he would call David in to play music. Why? Because David's music would usher in the presence of the Lord and give Saul peace. He didn't know why. He didn't want to pay attention to it. He just knew that when that dude played, he felt peaceful. You see, we go look for that place of peace in our life. And without knowing Christ, you can't find it. The drugs didn't do it. The alcohol didn't do it. The lying didn't do it. The sex didn't do it. The cheating didn't do it fighting didn't do it, the denying, the running none of that gave me peace but in the moment that I said yes to Jesus everything changed I still had court dates I still had a marriage that had to be restored I still had a job that was a little bit iffy I still had a lot of problems that I had to go through but I had peace because of him so I'm asking you this morning if you're in here do you know him? Is He your Savior? Is He your everything? Can you 100% sure say, I am saved and He's in my heart and I'm going to live for Him? Because if there's any doubt, listen, there's no shame in it. I've been coming to church a long time. I went to church for months. Everybody knew who I was. The day I walked in, one of my good friends nudged his wife and said, Do you want to see the example of somebody who will never change? It's him right there. <laughs> right? It didn't matter. that I knew people were talking about me. I gave them plenty to talk about. I knew there were problems. I grew up in, a home in this town of Marionville. I was arrested at a high school basketball game. There's 2,000 people. Everybody knows everybody. Oh, Kevin's saved now? We'll see. Maybe drunk in a week. Christ in me made me a new creation. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message ministered to you. Feel free to let us know on the Connect tab of the House Church app. We hope you have a great week.